0: But it's going to be a long slog for our industry. It's this is a two to three year recovery before we get back to any semblance of normalcy, whatever the hell that looks like.
1: So, welcome to Cabot Talks. This is Brian Cavatech. I am the managing partner of Cavatech LLP in Los Angeles, a former president of Consumer Attorneys California. And I am heavily involved in usually lobbying what my brother thinks are progressive liberal issues in the Capitol. But that's not always true, as we'll go and explain today. And John, tell us about you. Well, thank you, Brian. I am John Kabatek. I'm Brian's younger brother, Mrs. Kabatek's Favorite son, I like to think. And I am the founding president of Cabot Strategies, a public affairs and consulting firm focused on small business issues. I am also serving with one of those hats as the California State Director of the National Federation of Independent Business, the leading small business advocacy group. I often tend to work on and represent issues that Brian think are way right center when they're just job creator issues, Brian. It's great to be here with my big brother and and we're going to have a fun time. Today, we've got a very honored special guest with us, Jot Condy, who is the president of the California Restaurant Association. I hope I got your title right, Jot. And if I didn't, too bad. Close enough. I think close enough. Thank you. And what we're going to talk about today is how COVID has impacted the restaurant industry and more importantly, what Sacramento, what the courts can do for the restaurant industry. And I have consistently said, Jot, publicly and privately that there is no industry in America that's been hit worse than the restaurant industry. The people, the loss of jobs and full disclosure, I owned a restaurant for about 10 years and I was actually one of those guys who actually operated it. So I didn't just invest in it. It's a very tough business. Like I've said before, if you want to make a small fortune, go into the restaurant business with a large fortune. That'll, that'll get yeah. you there. And in full disclosure, <laughs> I ordered all of the different types of burgers that Brian and his wife, Roxanne, dreamed up at that restaurant over the years. So I've been feeding the economy and my belly as well. What are some of the critical issues, Jot, that you've seen during this time of pandemic and restaurant closures? What are the nitty gritty issues that you've seen?
0: Oh, geez. Where to start, but I think to your to your point, you know the the statement about the small fortune you need to go in with a big fortune to make the small fortune in the industry. I think is spot on. What's well known as the fragility of the the business model of the restaurant, you know the industry, low margins, you know three to five percent profit margins. I mean, large fixed costs. And in in most cases, for many independent restaurants, you know, few funding sources. So there's rarely any capital cushioning to get you through tough times, you know, and that's just the normal state of the industry. So the COVID, you know, the shutdown a year ago this week, we were the first sector of the economy to be shut down. The industry is notoriously fragile in terms of its business model, low profit margins, Large fixed costs, real estate, leases with landlords and few funding sources, you know especially for independent restaurants, there's very little capital cushioning to survive lean times, you know, and that's just sort of the normal state of the industry. So when we were first to be shut down a year ago, I mean, I, I think many believed at the time that this would be maybe a, a few weeks or a month, and little do we know, twelve months later. The industry has been hobbling along, and I I think we're we're seeing some light at the end of the tunnel with many counties moving into the red tier so they can open up dining rooms. But frankly, the restaurant industry needs to get those dining rooms open at 50% as quick as possible because that's essentially the break-even point for most restaurants.
1: Our mother called me the other day to happily report that her country club was going to be open for dining And I explained to her, I said, it wasn't just her country club. It was the entire county of Los Angeles, which was news to her. And then (laughs) and then I told her it was starting Monday because that's the day the order went into effect. She says, no, that's that's absolutely not possible because Oakmont's closed on Monday. So (laughs) so (laughs) she didn't think the order went into effect until her country club opened up. Now, that sounds like incredible privilege. And I just mentioned her country club. But let's talk. You know, I'm a big advocate for people and for workers. But let's be honest here. How is the government, you know, I'm going to use a technical legal term. How's the government screwed you over, your industry over in this process, Chuck?
0: Oh, uh, about nine different ways. And and I think, you know, Brian, you know, you're well aware because, you know, you're the, the lead litigator in this important class action case that's seeking reimbursement of, of those funds. I mean, I think what one of the first Brew jobs I think a lot of restaurants felt was coming their way was when they were forced to shut down and I think in, in the very beginning and you know probably the first half of this, many restaurants sort of understood that we're all in this together. but what was frustrating is they were shut down and they weren't generating any revenue and they were doing what the government told them to do. And yet they would still get these bills in the mail from state agencies and county um, agencies expecting them to pay the fees as if they were still open for business. So I'm at, that's probably one of the initial hits that were that was you know, super clear to, to our industry.
1: Brian, I can tell you those are some lawsuits that you're filing that I actually am very proud of, very happy about.
0: Well, there John, you, you, out
1: there. John, you pretty much hate the government. So how, how, where do you see... <laughs> The government interfering here with their business. Yeah, well, me and the rest of California. Nope. Yeah, you know, many, many do. Most do. They're having some problems, but there's a place for them. You know, Brian, I'd say right now, what we're mainly concerned is about this overreach. I think the lawsuits that, you've been filing have a step in the direction. I think it's just absolutely wrong to shut down a Mexican restaurant, a retail store, any type of business, and then continue to impose these fees, assessments, these levies on these businesses, and expect them to pay them while they're being shut down. So we have found that to be a good step in the direction. I think where we are concerned is perhaps a a potential overreach of a lot of these types of laws, regulations, and things when small businesses are just trying to make sense of all this stuff. So I think Jock can probably also say, and agree, there's a lot of stuff coming out of mom and pop right now. They're trying to make sense of, at least give them a chance to understand what they need to comply with. That's the biggest thing we're we gonna, hear from our members. We're gonna our, our listeners are gonna start having a, a drinking game, John. Every time you use the phrase mom and pop, it's gonna be wonderful. None <laughs> I, of them will I be sober so. by the time the podcast is done. Yeah. <laughs> you know, my own personal feeling was when in the very beginning, this was new territory, love them or hate them, the governor the president whoever was entering orders that were bold and audacious maybe wrong maybe right but at least it was under emergency circumstances but how long after that did those orders no longer become just an exercise of emergency power and just become an abuse of power
0: that's a great question i mean i you know as we were reaching this one year mark and and just trying to take inventory on you know where we've been and obviously Every state, and this is the frustrating part, at some point, it seemed to most people that this is political. I think to the chagrin of most public health officials, they were just dumbstruck how political it became. And you could just look at you know, the red versus blue state and predict what the response was going to be. If it was a blue state, the response was going to be more aggressive. The economy was going to be shut down in a broader fashion. States like Florida and Texas, you know, were less willing to go there. And then within California, since the you know there was this sort of localism is determinative approach from the governor, you know, you have red and blue counties in California, and so the shutdown orders and the enforcement were approached was different depending on whether you were in San Francisco County or Los Angeles County or Fresno or Placer. So you had this very disparate approach state by state and county by county, but it seemed to get, there was less, we're all in this together mentality. I was sensing from a lot of business owners, especially restaurants, probably around the summertime, you know, after we had been through the the second closure and reopening and shutting down, and as we're finding out now, as the economy is starting to open up, shutting down is easy. You, know, you just shut everything down. Reopening is tougher because people start looking at the business next to them and say, well, why are they open in a broader fashion than us? And what's the difference? I mean, I I was uh, sort of surprised that bowling alleys are still shut down as a lot of businesses are opening up now. I don't get Wait, that. Wait, there are
1: still bowling alleys?
0: Yes, of course. You don't bowl?
1: There are. They're mostly mom and pop stores, Brian. Oh, uh, <laughs> drinking game. Drink so, Start sipping. Start sipping. <laughs> so, you know, that's an interesting issue. You said it was county by county until it wasn't, because eventually, come the end of 2020, the governor yeah. started issuing sweeping orders again. And I personally thought, as, as much as I liked Newsom, and I like, frankly, Jerry Brown a lot more, but I like Newsom, I thought... How can you keep doing that? And how does the legislature let him do
0: that? As a governor, he's got broad emergency powers, especially in a, a pandemic. I mean, I think, you know, a lot of people say, well, why doesn't the federal government have police powers? The federal government doesn't have police powers. And local and state governments do for this very occurrence. The
1: right, but, are- but by December the the pandemic was many months old if i could count i could tell you how many months but it was many months old by that you know i was troubled that the police powers continued that long yeah hey, yeah john you know i felt people that asked me you know what could the governor or what the administration or the leaders done better or differently I, I i had said you know one of the things they they should have done is they should have brought in a lot more of the walks the nerds the industry folks from retail, auto shops, salons, and ask them what types of procedures and protocols they use and do it a a little bit more laser pointed and surgical than this, like Brian was saying, this sweeping decision to close. I guess that's something I would have said looking back, they should have done or could have done differently. What I guess question to you is what could they have done? What could the administration have done differently? And then looking ahead, is it too late? Is there some things they could still do that would make things better and reopen us a little more quickly and a little more fluidly?
0: It's hard. I mean, you know, I think we're at the we're at the phase of this crisis, as is the case in all disasters and crises. You know, the anatomy of a crisis always includes assigning blame, what went wrong, who's responsible for it. So we're it feels like we're in that now, as we're looking backwards and saying what could we have done different. There's a lot of comparing and contrasting how other states have done things. But you know, and and every county official that we had been working with and the. Governors' advisors, the health officials—not just here in California, but everywhere—you know—they would say we're doing this based on science. We're doing this based on data. The, the data was evolving; it seemed weekly, and they were yeah. pivoting quickly. They were just trying to respond not not defending the actions, because I think Los Angeles went way over the top in some of their responses. They were learning as they go. And as and what we've learned now is that they didn't have a lot of access to data or good data. I read this morning, incredibly, that The Atlantic, the magazine, was serving as the d- they de facto sort of a data center for most of the U.S. government when they were trying to track uh, positive cases and um, and death rates in, in the country. And I just found that to be incredible that a magazine would be the place where the government was going to, you know, learn what the data sets looked like. Mm. Well, they, they were clearly
1: unprepared, but, you know, let's talk about the workers too. I, I'm, I'm concerned about the restaurants. I'm concerned about the economy, but with respect to the workers, one of the striking issues I've seen is I haven't seen any data that restaurant workers were coming down with COVID or, or getting sick at any other, at any different rate than the rest of the population? Have you?
0: No. No. In fact, um, you know, it, it, depending on the data set you look at, of course, I mean, we were spending a lot of time looking at a lot of data sets in counties in Southern California. And you're right, Brian. And it, largely it's because restaurants were shut. Uh, a restaurant that had maybe 150 to 200 employees Pre-pandemic, they were sort of limping along because they were shut down with maybe five to 10 employees. The great and terrible truth about all of this is the, the plight of the worker, right? That they were shut out of a job. And these are frontline workers, you know, lower wage workers that need the job and have been suffering ever since, you know, the shutdowns, hopefully, you know, some of them will be able to come back. But yeah, they, the, the restaurant workers were not a prominent worker that was at high risk based on the data that we were that we were seeing. So,
1: John, what do you I mean, just kind of looking in the crystal ball here? I mean, what are you anticipating and prognosticating for the restaurant universe, maybe the small business universe as it relates, you know, kind of a post pandemic world? I mean, what does that look like to you?
0: Yeah, I mean so we we're, we're trying to figure that out now and I I guess the answer is it depends. I mean if you look at it, so much has changed. What's the new normal going to be like? And you know, a lot of the industry uh, our industry which you know pre-pandemic was the number one generator of sales tax in the state of California. So we were significant economically, not not just economically, but to the fabric of a community, but a lot of the restaurant customers and the traffic were built around sort of these ecosystems, different ecosystems in say, let's say San Francisco or parts of LA, where you have high density urban centers with office buildings. In San Francisco, for example, we just learned about a month ago that Salesforce, the largest private sector employer in that city announced that uh, about 40% of their workers were not coming back to the office permanently.
1: I think you're gonna see a growth in the near and close suburbs if we think of suburbs around major cities as of circles going out, like uh, circles in a pond, I think you're going to see a huge growth in suburbs. I think that the, the I mean, I you know, my main office is in downtown Los Angeles and downtown Los Angeles is a ghost town. But you go into Pasadena, for example, you go into the suburbs around Sacramento, I suspect it's the same. It's thriving because people are out there doing things, but they don't want to go into major areas anymore. So maybe you're going to see restaurants in those suburbs doing well i think you're going to see i think this whole Grubhub thing is going to continue to grow i'll explain to you later what that is john <laughs> i think it's good <laughs> mom and pop uh, uh, nope there, drink. Oh, there we go. drink i think you're going to see that kind of growth so but i think people are anxious and dying to get out and do stuff
0: yeah there's totally there is pent-up demand throughout this pandemic as there would have been two or three reopenings we did see when the, when the restaurants opened up that there was, a, you know, a line of people trying to get in either to the patio or if they were allowed to dine indoors. But there will be, I think, a, a spike in the immediate term of you know, people coming back to restaurants to kind of get that experience again. But I think you're right, Brian. There's going to be sort of a redistribution of where people, the live, work, play environment that existed in San Francisco and some of these urban centers, I mean, we've heard about You know, people leaving San Francisco and moving to Tahoe, and they're going to do just fine there. And, you know, ultimately, restaurants will end up where the people are and where they're spending their time. And
1: I mean, the the example of of Salesforce is a good one. It's not like those people are going to leave. They're just going to leave downtown San Francisco. They're going to be working remotely, but they're still going to want to go to restaurants. They're still going to want good food. They're still going to want services. I think it's, you know, frankly, I think it's one of the most fascinating discussions assuming that a lot of your constituents, Jock, can survive.
0: Yeah. Well, the ones, the coffee shops are dying in urban centers because that before work coffee crowd, you know, that 40% of that one building in San Francisco is you know not going to be getting coffee before they go into the office or they're not going to go down uh, downstairs and eat lunch with a friend or have a couple drinks after work before they get on the BART train and go home. And so You've got these segments of our industry, many, many restaurants where their business model is built around the lunchtime crowd or the after work drinks crowd are yeah. going to either have to redo their business model or move to the suburbs.
1: Okay, so final thoughts on this subject. Long road ahead. A lot of suffering. We need to get money to the restaurants. Those are my, my thoughts. John? Yeah, Money to the restaurants help get them open. I think some steps in the direction of these fee and license waivers have been helpful from the administration, but they're just steps. We need to do more. And most importantly, I think we just need to get people opening up, do it safely, do it smart, but make sure we can make this happen. John?
0: Agreed. The, the governor and the legislature are are doing everything they can to be of assistance to i think uh, many small business owners uh, restaurants uh, certainly that's who we're focused on so we're we're starting to see one light at the end of the tunnel because of the vaccines the governor has been super helpful in assuring that restaurant workers remain in that one B category because you know we are essential workers and so we've been appreciative of that and they they've been sort of proposing other long term changes in law to assist restaurants but it's going to be a long slog for our industry. It's is a 2 to 3 year recovery before we get back to any semblance of normalcy whatever the hell that looks like.
1: Okay, you hear that? You hear that Gavin Jot loves you. Now, this is the part where we get to have a little fun. This is called fast questions. And Jot, we're going to ask you some very fast questions that have absolutely no specific meaning whatsoever. <laughs> Just to get your quick responses, and I'll start. What's your favorite cartoon character?
0: Oh shit! <laughs> can I say can I say shit on a podcast?
1: Well, I don't know. The FCC Yosemite may Sam. come down on us. Yeah, Yosemite let's. Sam. But go ahead. Who's your favorite cartoon character?
0: Yosemite Sam. First concert ever. J- Judas Priest at the Oakland Coliseum. If Great you class. had a superpower, what would it be? Flying, no question. What what
1: dish do you like? to cook the most. And I know you like to be in the kitchen.
0: Enchiladas. And you know that firsthand, John. I you do know that. Leftovers. A
1: quick one. Who is your hero or mentor? Who is my look turn? It was oh, my turn. Oh, sorry, Brian.
0: I'm jumping in.
1: <laughs> you get two. Well, what, what was the question? Your favorite. Your Who's your hero or mentor? Somebody you look up to.
0: There's a, a guy who I've known for 20 years, and his name is Rick Berman. He's sort of a D.C. lobbyist, crisis manager. He's served as a, you know, a mentor to me for two, two decades. So I, I'd say Rick Berman. Bagel or donut? Donut. Glade, <sighs> the undisputed king of donuts.
1: I can't. I don't know if I could be your friend anymore. I, I, liked, I like bagels far more.
0: Really? <laughs> biting yep. into a glazed donut, the, just the sensation you get versus biting into a big thick fried bagel Come on. The glazed donut.
1: Your favorite team of all time, Jot.
0: Well, that would have to be the Oakland A's of the early 70s, the Charlie O'Finley Oakland A's.
1: My last question that John gets his last question. My last question is, where would you like to travel to when all travel restrictions have broken down?
0: Oh, Hawaii!
1: Never been there, John. Jot in California. Where would you like to ride your motorcycle? Because he loves his bike.
0: Oh yeah, uh, it's been great therapy for me. Let's uh,
1: ride.
0: Probably long distance ride Death Valley in the spring.
1: All the lawyers are in Death Valley. Is that a feeble attempt at a lawyer joke, John? <laughs> I'm just trying. It's mom and that's pops asked me to say. A feeble attempt at the a lawyer joke. The mom and joke. pops asked. The mom and pops asked me to that's, do that. That's one. three times. <laughs> John, you've been a great guest. Thank you very much. We appreciate having you on and much success and much luck with your industry. It's tough times and all of us are pulling for you.
0: Yeah, thank you, Brian. Thank you, John. Brian, I appreciate you. Just thank you for the fighting you're doing for our industry. You know, I I I know like John's always giving you a hard time for practicing the kind of law you do. And I think sometimes I would do the same, but I remember you telling me. Yeah, Jot. Everybody hates a lawyer till they need one, and, and certainly we've got the best there is. So um, thank you for all you're doing.
1: Amen to that. And Jot, thank you very much. And Brian, good to be with you. And Jot, I will be over in a couple hours for those enchiladas. I'll see yep. you soon enough.
0: Over here for you.